my, my name is Adam Barrett. I get the privilege of being a pastor at Central in our youth and also next gen areas. And I want to welcome everyone here and also if you're joining online, uh, we're excited you're here. And as you came in, you received a bulletin, and in that bulletin, there's a portion you can pull off. That's our communication card. We'd love for you to fill that out. If you've been coming here for a little bit, or if you're new, or if there's something updated, we'd love to be able to connect with you. And also, maybe you're wondering, oh, I hate paper. Well, guess what? We have a digital one as well. And for those of you watching online on Facebook, you can fill that out. Go ahead and just go to that uh, link right there, and that's a way for us to connect with you. Also, it's a way for us to pray uh, each week. Staff takes time to pray for each prayer request individually. Uh, So I I love getting to work with students. I love them. They're full of surprises and they're full of energy. (laughs) Lots of surprises. (laughs) Uh, But but just several weeks ago, uh, all of our teenage life groups went off site for a Wednesday night. And surprisingly, a lot of teenage boy groups went to Pizza Ranch, you know, Love those chicken fingers, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, they're delicious in the gravy. But. So I, I went to Pizza Ranch, hanging out with some groups and the, a lot of different teen boys. And then at the end of the night, they're in the car, several in the arcade. And I'm having this kind of serious conversation with one of the leaders and what's going on in their life. And as I'm talking to him, in the corner of my eye, there's this sixth grade boy just standing like this. Just, just waiting. Now, it's not just like 10 seconds. This is minutes. I keep talking and talking. He's just, he wants my attention and stuff like that. So... Again, it's a serious conversation. So I finally get in a place where I can be like, oh, just a second, be like, hey, dude, what's up? What can I help you for? And the sixth grade boy goes, I just wanted you to know that I got the jackpot in this game the other day, and then walks away. (laughs) Now, why would he do something like that? Well, because students love to be noticed. They love to be seen. I mean, parents, we see this with our kiddos all the time. I mean, I, I have four kiddos. My oldest is eight, seven, four, and, and one. And all of them are like, daddy, 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 look at me. But in particular, my son, Hosea, who's, he's all about this. We can be at the playground, and he can be going down the slide the 32nd time. And he'll still be like, daddy, 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 look at me. Look, look, look what I'm going to do. And it's like he hasn't done it before. He gets excited. Why? Because he wants to be noticed. He wants to be seen. I mean, even when I was a kid, I loved being seen. I would do, you know, crazy loud things. And if you know me, I know that's a, a surprise to, to you. But so when I was younger, I had this amazing human ability. And okay, any seven-year-olds in the house? Seven? Raise your hand high and proud. Seven? Seven? Okay. Oh, there we go. There we go in the back. I love it. All right. So I want to show you a clip of this amazing human ability. And it was when I was seven on Christmas Eve. Take a look. Okay, just a second. I would love to do. I know that's that's always the best applause I get the whole hour each time. It's like oh, amazing. <laughs> no, I would love to do the Adam Belly roll. Why? Because people would notice me. They would it would get people's attention. But let's just be honest. Like I. I still love getting people's attention, even as an adult. I, I, I still got it. If you were wondering, I know many of you were wondering. But this isn't every person. This is a basic truth to humanity, that we love to be seen. But this goes beyond just, okay, someone looking at us. We want to really be seen. 
Not just at the surface level. We want to be seen at the deepest parts of who we are. Where we don't, where we don't feel this pressure to have to act a certain way and meet someone's expectations. You know, e- even with our ability right now in this day and age to stay connected with the infinite amount of people, despite geographically where you're at, there's still tons of us who will say we still feel utterly alone. And if you've ever felt that way, the one thing that you wish you had is just one person who really knew you, who saw you. Because to, to really be seen, is, it, it's powerful. There, there's a safety and a comfort in it. There, there's a freedom that we get when someone really sees us. And this is even more true to our relationship with God. And so as we continue our series looking, going through the Gospel of John, this is what I hope we walk away with today. It's this. That our greatest need is to be seen and to see. Our greatest need is to be seen and to see. So today we're going to be in John chapter 9. If you have your Bible, go and pull that up. There's Bibles in the the pews that you like. But in this story we're going to look at today, there is a man who receives a miracle. He was born blind and he becomes healed and receives his sight. Now, in this story, there's, there's three main scenes that make up the story. Three. And there's also three main characters. The first character is Jesus. You know, Sunday school answer. You almost get that one right all the time. There's Jesus. The next character is a man who is born blind. And then the next main characters are the Pharisees. And so let's, we're going to start in John chapter 9 and verse 1. It says this. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. For John, this gospel writer, miracles are are signs that are meant to point to Jesus. And so for the past several weeks, we've been looking at these miracles in John. And we've been looking at, with each of these ones, we've been looking at this question. What does it mean, what does this miracle reveal about Jesus? And so the first thing when we look at this story, this healing and miracle that we see, is that Jesus sees each and every person. Jesus sees each and every person. The story starts with Jesus walking with his disciples, and the text says he sees a man who is blind from birth. Now, this wouldn't have been an uncommon scene. I mean, he's in Jerusalem. This is a large, populous city. So there would have been beggars on the ground, on the streets. And yet Jesus sees this man. The disciples do as well. And they ask him a question in verse 3. It says this. They ask him, hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, at first glance, this question is pretty interesting. But it reveals what the Jewish community viewed these circumstances that happened to someone like this. That Okay, this man was born blind, so obviously either he sinned or his parents. Either way, something had to have happened so that this outcome happened, so how this happened. 
And so Jesus does this cool stuff when people ask him questions. He responds in a way that makes us just completely rethink the question in a whole new light. So I want, I want you to look at his response in verse 4. This is what Jesus says. <clears throat> um, or in verse 3, sorry. <laughs> Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Rather than trying to point the finger to the cause of why this happened, Jesus points to the purpose. And there's a significant difference. Rather than focusing on the cause, Jesus points to the outcome, the purpose of it. Not only that, but Jesus puts this limited question within the broader context of of God's story. And this is helpful just for any hard questions we as Christians get in our faith. Where one, maybe something really hard is happening and we're like, okay, I can focus on the cause or maybe I can look at the purpose and what God desires. Or even this hard situation. I'm going to look not just in this one place, but what what does this have to do with even God's bigger story? When we do this, it reshapes the question. And we're able to look at it differently. So after addressing the disciples and answering their question, Jesus bends down. And he spits on the ground. And, and then he starts to make mud with it. Now, I mean, any elementary kid, like my son, I mean, like, they would love this. I mean, Jesus is playing in the mud. He's making mud with his hands. And then he gets up and he goes to the blind man who most likely would have been sitting down. And so he kneels, anoints the man's eyes with mud and tells him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Now, I, I want to show you... Uh, uh, a picture of, of the city of Jerusalem, kind of a map so we understand. So this is during Jesus' time. The, the section colored in orange is the, the inner city of Jerusalem, and uh, there would have been a wall around the entire area. Now, remember, Jerusalem is a popular city. It's a world-class city, so lots of people would pilgrimage there. And, and so all this different, not only but just different people, but specifically the Jewish people would go there all the time because here is where the temple was. And right there in, in, in the yellow, that's where the temple mount is. And the Jewish people would come and offer sacrifices at the temple. So they would go to there. Now, Jesus is not in that area. We know that. He was in there a little earlier right there, but he's not there. So we don't know. Jesus is somewhere in the colored orange area, but we, we don't know exactly where. And then... Somehow, Jesus sees this guy, goes up to him, puts mud on his eyes, and tells him to go to wash in the pool of Siloam, which would have been in the southeast corner right there. Now, it's really close to the wall. Not only that, but one of the entrances into Jerusalem. So now, pool, this pool would have been 250 feet in length. It was a pretty large pool. So pools in general in this time were common congregating places for people to hang out. But because it was by a gate, travelers would have been coming through this all the time. They would have gotten water here. And not only that, this pool could have been actually for ritual cleansing for the Jewish people because there's a fresh water stream constantly feeding the pool. And this is where the blind man washes and regains his sight. And it all started, it all started because Jesus first saw the blind man. And Jesus sees each and every character, though, in this story, including the people in the story that dis like him, which leads us to scene two, where the blind man goes on trial. Now, we don't know where Jesus is at. Jesus doesn't appear in scene two of this story, but we know is that this man goes in the pool, washes, and this had to be quite the sight. I mean, okay, you got to imagine, this guy is never seen before, and he goes in the pool, washes, and all of a sudden, he comes out seeing. 
He had to be going nuts at that moment. And then there's tons of people around. Travelers, people who first time to Jerusalem, longtime people around, and they're seeing this guy and they start asking questions. They're like, what is happening? And I want you to look at verse eight in, in their response. It says this. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is, he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. People are in shock right now. I mean, they're, they're, they're questioning this all the time, especially the people who, who know of this guy. Some of them are like, is this really him? Some people are down and be like, no, 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 this, this couldn't be him. He has to be somewhere else. He just looks like him. And then constantly, tons and tons of people are coming to this guy. He has to say, no, 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 that, that's me. That, I was blind. I was the beggar over there. And now I washed in the pool and now I, I see. He's constantly trying to do it. So, we, we got we to remember where he's coming from. So, okay, first, after all this commotion happens, they're like, oh, what do we do with all these people? They bring them to the Pharisees because they should know what's going on. And so, okay, this guy first started his day blind and a beggar. I mean, he, he was on the bottom of Jewish society. Not only that, but do you remember the, the question the disciples asked in verse 2? Who sinned? Because of his condition, the Jewish people viewed him less than. They ostracized him because something had to have happened because God wouldn't do this. So something bad would have had to happen. Someone sinned. And all this stuff is, is against him before receiving a sight. And then when he receives a sight, he barely gets a moment to enjoy it because he's constantly having to tell people, no, no, this is me, this is me. And then they bring him to the most intimidating group for him, the Pharisees who have great power to cause damage to him physically, emotionally, and even socially. So they bring him before the Pharisees. And right before we start hearing dialogue in, with the Pharisees, in verse 14, it gives us a couple important details. And the first one is this, that it was the Sabbath. One of the ten commandments given to Moses to give to the people of Israel because they were going to be God's people, one of them was to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. I mean, this has got to be pretty important. It made the top ten list. But what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Well, the Pharisees came in a couple hundred years ago, and throughout these years, they gave different interpretations of what it meant to keep the Sabbath, and they kept adding qualifier after qualifier after qualifier. Well, you need to do this, not do this. Oh, you really can't do this. Oh, maybe you can do this. All these details. Now, the second detail we see in verse 14 is that it says, Jesus made mud and healed the man. Now, hopefully you're wondering, why did Jesus spit on the ground to make mud. I mean, this is Jesus. He could have spoke this healing into his existence. He could have snapped his fingers and it would have been done. Why does he do this? And so there's a, a couple ways to interpret it, but one that I think the text does show is that he does it on purpose. He does it on purpose. Jesus knows what day it is. He knows it's the Sabbath. And yet he does this because one, in the Sabbath, you shouldn't do something like a healing. And then also, the Pharisees said you weren't, able, you weren't supposed to need any materials, putting things together, including making mud. And so Jesus is intentional in trying to get not just the Pharisees' attention, but the people who are following the Pharisees. Again, remember, Jesus sees each and every person. He, he sees their heart and knows their intentions, and he's doing this to get that attention. And here comes the next thing we learn from this sign or miracle. It's that agendas can blind us. 
agendas can blind us. At this point in the story, the Pharisees become more and more blind because they have an agenda with Jesus. Not only is it that, but they want to keep their power. It doesn't sound good if you're saying, hey, this is how you keep the Sabbath, and some dude comes on the scene and be like, mm, I don't know if you need to do that. And so they have an agenda like, no, I want to keep my authority. I want to keep my influence. And so they have an agenda. Now, for the outside reader, for us, when we, this is where it gets borderline comical in how blind they are. Again, remember, the guy was born blind, and now he sees. The Pharisees, who know God the most, who should see him the most, actually are the ones who become more and more blind. And so after hearing, so they bring in the, they bring the blind man, they ask him tons of questions, and after hearing what he has to say, they're like, oh, wait, wait, they're not satisfied. So they bring, they call his parents in. They'll be like, hey, we have some questions. Is this your son, and was he born blind? Now the parents get freaked out because these are the Pharisees. They can kick them out of the synagogue. And when I say that, that means more than just, oh, they don't get to hear about God. To be kicked out of the synagogue would mean you'd be kicked out of the the central place of community for the Jewish people. So it'd be kind of like Mayor Paul Tenhain can come up to you and say, hey, by the way, you're you're kicked out of every public land, public building, school, and sidewalk in Sioux Falls, and everyone will know about it. So they're scared. And so... And so they're asking these questions, and so they kind of just pass the buck to, back to their son. They're like, they say, well, he's of age. Um, how, about, uh, how, about, how about you ask them? How about you, you just ask him? And so I want to look at, uh, there's a verse in 22 that gives a little more context to this. Take a look at this. It says, it says his parents said these things, like, hey, you talk to him, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Okay, you see the fear. You see the fear the parents had, but you also see the agenda. The text says the Pharisees already agreed to cast people out. And then from here, this trial intensifies even more. I want to read through some of it. I'm going to start in verse... um, at 24. And so take a, listen to this. It's going to be on the screen too and follow along. It says this. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So the You can see the agenda even more. They're trying to get the guy who experienced the miracle to call Jesus a sinner. And now, I mean, gotta remember, this is this guy was blind, low society, he's front of the Pharisees. And so he's like, Well, the thing I do know is, hey, this morning I couldn't see, now I can, and I'm kind of excited about it. (laughs) All right, but then it keeps going. Listen to this, verse 26. They, the Pharisees, said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Those questions, how did this happen? He's answered probably 72 times now with his neighbors, with the first time his Pharisees invited him up, and then he saw his parents go, and then this is the second time. Do you see the agenda? Do you see that they're completely blind and able not to even see what God is doing at all? And now this is where the, 
this guy gets a little snarky with him. I mean, he sees, he calls him out. He says, do you want to be his disciples? And it, it, how is he able to do this? Because he's growing more and more convicted about who this Jesus is. And then I'm going to look at verse 30 now. The man, the guy who was healed, answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Remember who this guy is. The bottom of Jewish society. He gets healed and he comes before these guys who are very intimidating and he starts preaching to them. He says, I, I don't know how you guys can't be amazed at this. Not only that, how can this not be a thing of God? And that's big words because now he's starting to say, you know what, this Jesus is not just from God, but he's doing the works of God. And then how did the Pharisees end scene two? Verse 34. The Pharisees answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Okay, remember the, the question the disciples asked? Who sinned? And so now they're just so frustrated with them. They just go back to, you know, you were born in sin. Something went wrong because you were born blind and so we're done with you. <laughs> Which shows ultimately how blind they are. But agendas, agendas can blind us from seeing what God really wants and how, so, so, how this is true for you and I today. That agendas can blind us from seeing what God really wants. Here's the scary thing. These agendas that blind us can be like the Pharisees. They can appear biblical. They're holding to the Sabbath like that, that's a good thing. They're holding on to the Sabbath and honoring it. And yet, their agenda in holding on to this is blinding them from seeing the true works of God. You know that there's people that can, that, that can hold this, this book of Scripture and they can point to something and they can cling to it so much that it actually can make them blind from seeing where God really wants to use them. I mean, so okay, how do agendas blind us? I mean, because this is a serious thing that we need to consider. How do it blind us? I think, I, I think we see two aspects of how we can come, become blind from this story. The first is, it starts with a simple thought. Ready? It's this. I am better. I am better. I, I know more than this person does. Or I know more than this group of people do. I mean, the Pharisees... I, we know better. Our line is from Moses, they say. How could you teach us? No, no, no. We, we know it's best. We need to be right. And again, this starts so small in our heads, in our, in our souls. But then when this thought that I am better and I know more, when this starts to take root in our souls, an agenda can form very quickly that can blind us. Because at the root of this agenda... At the root of the side, I, I am better, is this idea that you need 
to be right. It's, the thought, it's, it's this thought of superiority. When you look at Jesus, <laughs> he humbled himself and did the direct opposite. I mean, we have this everywhere where we have these assumptions about people. I mean, we see this in our marriages when you're looking at your spouse. Well, I, I know I'm in the right and they're viewing this differently. We have this with our friends, like, well, I did this, and I I know my intentions are great, and and theirs are not. We have this in in our activity students in politics. I mean, we have a political system where the one side says, you know what, I know that we are right and you are wrong, and we're bombarded by these things, and it's very tempting and easy for things to blind us. The second part of how an agenda can blind us is this. It's a disregard for human worth. Again, it's a disregard for human worth. Now, it never, again, no one would admit, oh, I'm disregarding people's worth. But again, it starts very subtle and small. But here's a sign that this maybe started happening. It's when, when we're talking about something, we start talking more about the issue than the people behind the issue. When we start focusing more on the issue and holding fast to this issue and rather than the people behind the issue, we can have an agenda that may blind us. I mean, an example I see right now is with the LGBTQ community. I mean, I, I, see, I talk to so many people in churches and they want to first, I, I want to know what's right. Is this right or is this wrong? Is this person right or is this wrong? Is this person sinning or are they not? Now, you got to hear me. God cares about truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. He came to bring truth. So does God care about right and the wrong? Of course he does. But at the same time, are we caring more about the issue or about the people behind the issue? Do you want to know? So the vast majority of people in the LGBTQ community who started in the church but ended up leaving, the reason why, not because of a teaching, but because how they were treated. In church, we got to struggle with that. Church, there's agendas that we have here that churches in all of America have that are tempting to blind us. And so how do we, okay, how do we, how do we not become blind then? Because this is a serious, it can really lead us astray. I, I see two things from this text. First, we see from Jesus a right order of, of caring and how to act. Jesus still honors the Sabbath, but he also sees the importance of healing the man. He actually exemplifies the Sabbath. You think about it, because the Sabbath was meant for rest, and when you rest, your body heals. So of all the days of the week, do you know when healing should be happening is on the Sabbath. We see in Scripture that there is, there's a right priority of ways in how we are to act. We see this in the, in the first, the greatest two commandments, love God and to love our neighbor. That these, these two beliefs, these two commandments are to be pillars for us in how we are acting and how we view the world. And not only this, we see other things in scripture like a desire for justice. And specifically, not justice like, hey, I want my life to be better. No, it's a justice for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized in our society and so when people look at us 
Do they see these strong convictions of love in God and love in neighbor and for justice? That's the first thing. The second thing that can help our agendas not making us blind is we got to look at the guy who is healed. And what we see in this guy is he has a significant humility and reverence for God. When I say humility, I don't say, oh, we need to think less of ourselves. No, it's putting ourselves in the right place. Do you know what our place is? I, when I look at myself, I put myself before this holy and all-powerful God. And when I look at him, when I look at his works, and I look at everything he's able to do, and I look at me in my pitiful, low estate, I'm like, who am I? And then I, I'm in awe. Why? Because this God who is whole, all other looks at me and gives me grace and love. That creates a humility. That creates a humble heart before God. And so my question is, when's the last time you were in awe of this God? When you marvel at who he is, not because of anything you have done, but because of everything he has done. The last thing we learn from this miracle is this, that Jesus sees us so that we may see him. Jesus sees us so that we may see him. And we see this with the guy who was healed. But it, it didn't happen instantly. It was a journey. Okay, remember? Okay, blind man, beggar. Jesus first sees him and then heals him. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the fact that now he can see. And you see slowly how this guy sees Jesus more and more. So in front of his neighbors and the friend in the, scene, in the beginning of scene two, he starts saying, well, there's this guy, Jesus, who put mud on my eyes and told me to go to this pool and now I'm healed. That's what he calls Jesus. And then when he goes before the Pharisees, the first time he, they push him, he says, well, I think he's a prophet because he's from God. And then the second time he's in front of them, he starts pushing back. He starts pushing being like, no, how can this not be a work of God? How could this man not be from God? Why? He's starting to slowly become understanding of who this Jesus really is. And so after he's casted out, which is an irony of the story because he was the bottom of the Jewish society, and then he, he receives his sight, and then that's when he's casted out. So, that, that, but, so when he's casted out, Jesus returns on the scene for scene three. And he goes and finds the blind man. Oh, he's not blind anymore, sorry. <laughs> he can see, he goes up to the man and he asks him this question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man responds, I, who is he that I may believe? And these next verses in verse 37 are probably the most powerful verses in this story. It says this. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. It took the entire story, this entire journey for this man to finally really see who Jesus is. And it all started with Jesus first seeing this man. First seeing him in his lowly state. In his darkness. In his blindness. For the beggar man, his lowly position would seem obvious to the Pharisees, because they don't know what to do, and it would even see obvious probably to us. It's like, well, I, I can see, and I'm not begging for my livelihood. <laughs> the funny, the Pharisees thought they were fine. And in fact, at the end of the story, Jesus says, behold, you are the ones who are utterly blind. Jesus sees past the physical. 
He sees their hearts, and right now, today, he sees your heart. He really sees us. And this is where we need to start, like, the, like in this story. It, where it starts with us is that it starts with Jesus choosing to see me in my lowly state. What do I mean by lowly state? For all of us, at the root of who we are, we have one ultimate agenda. And it's for me. It's that I am okay. I can tell you every day I wake up and I have this torn feeling of, okay, I I want this to be better in my life. God, why would you do this? God, I don't want to talk to this person. God, why isn't this person treating me better? God, why didn't this friend invite me to do this? All these things revolve around me. And this is at the root cause of our issue is that our ultimate agenda is that we care more about ourselves than God. And so therefore we place ourselves above God. And that, this is us at our lowly state because we, could, we care more about us than what God would care. And this is where the good news comes in. This is the good news we need to turn to is that the good news says, despite your lowly state, despite your selfishness, despite my selfishness and wanting to think only about me, Jesus comes on the scene and sees me. And not only does he seize me, he dies for me. Why? So that I could experience life in relationship with God. And so this this is good news we all can turn to, but in order to turn to this good news, it necessitates turning away from something. In order to turn to this good news, it necessitates turning away from something. And who knows what that could be for your life right now? But that's the constant call of the Christian to turn away from our selfish desires for these things in our life and grasping and holding on to dear life for the grace that we find in the gospel. Because this is the good news we have in Jesus. And that is what we rest in. In the midst of you yelling at your spouse, in the midst of you struggling at school and having friends, in the midst of your ups and downs, in the midst of your depression, we rest in the fact that it's not about what we have done, but it's about what Jesus has done, who saw you and wants you to see him. Do you realize that today? That he sees you? It's amazing. So not... When he sees us, we see him and we worship him, but also a change happens. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul describes this change like this. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. You and I were once darkness, you and I were blind. We were in a low estate, and the only thing that changes is that the light of the world comes to see you and shine his light so that we can see him for all that he's worth. And not only does that, that change us, but then now we ourselves who have, who have received this good news because it's a gift are now light. We have changed. So right now in this room, we are light. When you leave these doors, when you are with your family, you're light. Kids, do you realize if you have Jesus, you are light to your family and friends. When you go to school, you are light. When you go to your work, you are light to the people that God has placed in your life. But the question remains is, what will they see? Will you desire to cover this light? Or will they see the light of Jesus 
who first saw you so that you could fully see him. The question is, what will people see? And this is what I hope people see. Not a people who are perfect, who are like, oh, we're trying to put on a show or trying to put on a face because, hey, we're, we're Midwest Christians. I hope they see people that marvel at this God, that really look at him and be like, man, in, in all the ups and downs of my life, this God Almighty chooses to see me so that I can fully see him and worship him. And that is what I hope people see when we leave these doors. Because then, people will ultimately see Jesus through us. And it first starts because Jesus saw you so that you could see him fully and worship him. God, would you, I pray as we respond in worship, would you, would you help our hearts in how we respond? God, would we, would we respond in a way that not just honors you, but reflects the amazing, marvelous reality of what you have done through Jesus? And God, would, would how we respond match that? God, we give you praise and thank you for the great work you have done. Amen. It's all started first with what Jesus did. And Jesus first saw us so that we could see him. As you leave today, please make sure to put your communication card and if you have prayer requests, we'd love to really pray for you. Put those in and your offering in the buckets. But let us go from here marveling at a God who sees us so that we can see him, so that we can be light and bring that light to the people we will see today, tomorrow, and all the days ahead. Have a blessed day. Thank you.